in 2 Timothy chapter 3 here, Paul is giving Timothy instructions and he starts off and says, but mark this in chapter 3 verse 1, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Does that just sound like the news? I mean, it's more like, well, that's what Facebook looks like. So, I mean, by the way, uh, that's just the situation that the world is in, okay? So he's just explaining and reminding Timmy, this is how the world goes. And then in, uh, he gets into, you know, there are, there are these people who worm their way in and, and, and damage people's lives, false teachers. And then he goes into verse 10 and he says, you, however, Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. And was, remember as we went through the book of Acts, all these difficulties that Paul had going through these places, preaching the gospel to the unbelievers, uh, raising up leadership there. Yet, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. We should just put that on a sign out in front of the church, right? Be like, hey, come to church, believe in Jesus, uh, live a godly life, be beat up for it. So, it's, uh, that doesn't exactly fill the pews, I guess, but it's, it's true. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, there are, there are people out there who don't teach the truth. There are people out there who claim to be believers who don't teach the truth. And then, of course, there's people out there who aren't believers, and they're not teaching the truth either. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not a good combination, right? If you're deceiving others and being deceived at the same time. A lot of self-deception going on. But look at verse 14. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. For what? For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures? How did Timothy know the Holy Scriptures from infancy? Someone taught him. We look at his, his mother. He mentions his mother and his grandmother. They taught Timothy the Word of God. And Paul came along and trained up Timothy. And he has continued to teach him. He says, you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he comes into verse 16 and 17, where he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So these two verses are very famous. You'll see them written on things, written on boards. People carve them into things and needle point them. And, and what he's telling Timothy here, let's dig into it some. Verse 16. All scripture. So when he says all scripture, what does he mean? Um, well, at the, the time of the writing, he meant the Old Testament canon or the, the authoritative word from the Old Testament. What we have is the Old Testament today, okay? And some of the gospels and some of the other letters had 
began to become part, uh, become part of the, uh, the canon of Scripture, the, the whole Bible that we have today. Um, the, Peter considered what Paul was writing Scripture. And he said it was difficult because <laughs> Peter would read it and be like, oh, that's tough. But he says all Scripture is God-breathed. Notice it doesn't say that all Scripture is, is something else. All Scripture is a good idea. No, he says it's good-breathed. You've heard Trev use the term Theoponestos, it's only used here in this verse in the, in, in the New Testament. God breathed, meaning that God breathed in, or your virgin may say inspired. Think about to breathe, to respire, to breathe in and breathe out, that God breathed into the authors of the Bible. That it is scripture because God inspired it. It is scripture because it is God breathed. And what that means is that when Paul is writing this, God is taking everything that Paul is, his character, his experience, his style, and he is breathing himself into Paul so that what Paul writes is exactly what God wants him to write. And that as he wrote it, it was without error, meaning it was exactly what God wanted him to write. And that's what gives it its authority. Not because I say it has authority, not because it was correctly translated. It was, but it has authority because God breathed it into Paul and then Paul wrote it down or Matthew, or, or Mark, or, or Moses, or David. See, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the things down that they wrote down. God did not obliterate the personality. The opposite is actually true. He took their very unique personalities, and all these books are different. You read the Pauline epistles, you read John, you read David, you, you see their personality in these books. Because God is using the person, filling the person, to write the words. But it is God-breathed. It comes from the Lord. And that is what gives it its authority. does not have authority because I hold it in my hand. does not have authority because someone else says it has authority. It has authority because God inspired, breathed into the authors, and they wrote it. And it is authority that comes from the Lord. So what about it? It's useful, uh, or it's profitable, or it's, it's helpful, your version might say. It's it's for something, right? All scriptures, God breathed and is useful. You're supposed to use it. Well, what for? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So when you look at the word teaching, think about something that is, there is always a teacher and a learner, right? So I need to be taught something because there, there's something in the Bible that I need to know that I don't know. So it's useful for teaching because there's something in the Bible always that I need to know but don't know, and so I need to be taught. So as we go through these kind of four points of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, we're going to look at kind of the different postures that come out of these things. So the very first posture is that we must have, a, as we come to the Bible, we must have a posture of a learner, that I come to the Bible to learn from it. So many times we go to the Bible and we try to teach it something. We're like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. Excuse me? Uh, at what point did you become God and write the Bible? You didn't. You're a person. You're a creature. We are under the authority of it. We never stand in judgment over the Bible. Can we ask questions? Yes. Yeah, there's a whole section of scholarly people who ask questions. Is this correctly translated? How, what did the original language say? What is it? We have really good translations. Really good. If you really want to dig into it, dig into it, and you're just going to find that they're, that they're really good. But we must come to the Bible as learners. Okay? Understanding that there's something in here that I need to know that I don't know that I need to learn. So I need to have the posture of a learner. Next word is rebuking or um, 
uh, your, your uh, version may say a reproof or, or, or something along those lines. And the idea is, this teaching is, is teaching me something that I don't know that I need to know, and reproof or, or uh, rebuking is, is a negative context of, of something that you shouldn't be doing. It's a warning of, of danger that is out there. It's danger that is pointed out to be rebuked by reading the scriptures to have danger pointed out in your life. It's like the idea of the don't do those things, right? Uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't have an affair, don't murder, don't covet, don't envy. Why? Don't worship other gods. So it's the negative, that's the rebuking. You're doing something, don't do that thing. As we read the Bible, you read it and you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to lie. Well, I didn't know lying was bad. Well, now I know. Now I'm not supposed to lie. So now what do we do? Well, it corrects. And the, uh, the word for correction really means uh, restoration to an upright state. Like if something had fallen down, to correct it was to bring it back up and, and, and make it like it's supposed to be. If something's fallen down, you correct it and restore it up to an upright state. So as we look at this, this teaching where we have this posture of a learner, this rebuking where we need to have a posture of humility, where I read something in the Bible and it says, um, don't covet your neighbor's things. Well, I need to be humble enough to read that and think, I actually am not supposed to covet my neighbor's stuff. And it says, don't have an affair. So I think, oh, I'm going to be humble enough to say, I'm actually not supposed to have an affair. It says, don't lie. I'm actually not supposed to lie. Don't. And it instructs me in things I'm not supposed to do. Why? Because those things are hurtful. We have four children. As you notice, one of them like ran out and escaped and did something in the back and hopefully didn't break anything during worship. But our kids need constant instruction. Constant instruction. Don't, don't touch that. Don't stick your finger in that uh, outlet. Don't run across the street without looking. Uh, we had uh, one of them at 6-something in the morning last week was throwing a bouncy ball and broke the little globe that was in the ceiling over the light. It shatters down and poosh, in the hallway. There's broken glass everywhere. Only Jenny and I have shoes on. And so it's like, stop, don't walk, because there's broken glass everywhere. And all the kids are like, like, no, don't. We're rebuking them, don't walk. Why? Because if they walk, do they have the freedom to walk? Yes. Are they free from the consequences? No. Do you have the freedom to cheat on your wife? Yes. Are you free from ruining your life by it? No. So this is why God is trying to teach us by rebuking us, and we must come to him with an attitude of humility. Humility is just saying that God actually knows more than I do. And I should listen to what he says. So we have a posture of a learner. We have a posture of humility. And then we have this idea of him restoring us to an upright state. We must have a posture of malleability. That I'm not so rigid that I don't allow change to take place. If you are so rigid in your personality, so rigid in your ways, so rigid in everything that you never allow anything to change, I mean, good luck growing. Um, growing means change, means adding, it means movement, it means forward, it means all of these concepts that we, if we are rigid, we're not going to go. I'm not talking about dogmatically rigid. Like, I don't mean like flex on your, the, the doctrine of the deity of Jesus, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your, in how we do life. Are you, are you malleable when you read the Bible? Do you read something and think, I don't like what that says. So I'm not going to do it. Don't, don't do that. I do that all the time. I don't like what I read in there. Um, happens a lot. Um, and it's uncomfortable. But we must have a posture of malleability. It must be flexible. 
And the last thing it says is it is useful for training in righteousness. So when you look at the word training, it, it really, it's the idea of, of the discipline of a child of nurture. And it's this concept of really the, the cultivation of the soul. So the discipline of a child is not just uh, like, it doesn't just happen once. I don't know how many times you have to, not discipline like, like punish a child, but I mean train a child. How do they brush their teeth? How do they tie your shoes? Think about all the things that you know that somebody taught you. How to read, how to do algebra, how to uh, drive a car, how to tie your shoes, how to comb your... All of these things are taught because a child enters the world knowing very little and must be trained up and cultivated. Well, we are the same way. God is our father and he is training us up as his children. But it's this idea of cultivating our soul that he does. If you think about a, um, a, a garden, what does a good gardener do? Well, does the gardener just, does he just take seeds and just throw it on the street? I mean, Jesus even has a parable about this. No, he, he cultivates the soil. He makes sure the soil has in it what it needs in it to grow. He cultivates, he puts the seed in, waters it. A little bitty, tiny, little bitty, bitty sprout comes up protects that little sprout because it's very vulnerable when it's itty bitty like that vulnerable to frost vulnerable to bugs and whatever well what if it's a vine what is if it's where's it supposed to go well what's the purpose of a, of a bean plant it's to make more beans so it's got to have something to grow up on so the gardener puts a structure up so that this bean can grow up that structure that we grow up on believers we call that doctrine and god is the one who sets it up not me i'm not the one who said that god is eternal the bible says it I'm not the one that says that Jesus is God. Jesus said it. I'm not the one that says that God knows what is going on. He's in control of everything. He says that. And he grows us up like a, like a trellis so that we don't just go everywhere, but we go in the direction that he wants us to go. And we can grow and we can become the people that he wants us to be and do the things that he wants us to do. It says training in righteousness. So I love the word righteousness, right? There's a lot of right things. I read this commentary and it's talking about these four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That it's like, it's like knowing uh, what is right, knowing what is not right, knowing how to get right, and then how to stay right. And I love that. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. How do I walk righteousness in, in righteousness? I don't know what's right. Well, read the Bible. Okay. Well, I don't know what's not right. Read the Bible. Well, how do I get right? I'll read it and I'm like, I'm wrong. It says something, and I'm like, I'm broken. How do I get right? Read the Bible. Well, I, 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 I think I'm right now, but I keep getting not right. How do I stay right? Read the Bible. It's not overly complicated. Verse 17. So that. Why is he giving him this instruction? Why is the scripture useful for all these things? Just so that you will be full of information? No. So that the man, the word man there is, is, uh, is the word... Uh, um, anthropos, it means mankind, so that the person, the man, woman of God, the believer, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, or it may say uh, uh, perfectly fitted or adequate, uh, equipped or fitted for every good work. Those words are the thoroughly and the equipped, they're, they're the similar root words, and it's kind of like uh, fittedly fitted for every good work. And another way that it can be looked at is to be perfectly furnished. So I want you to think about a house, right? Like think about your house. Or whenever you've moved. You know like when you, you live in a house and, and, and you move and you gather up all your stuff and you walk through the empty house and you're like, man, it's weird. Like, I don't feel like home anymore. All the furnishings are out, right? 
All the things you use to do life in that house are gone. Then you move into a new house, and it's empty when you walk in, right? And you're like, well, I mean, could you live there? Yes, you could sleep on the floor. Um, you, there's probably a toilet and a sink so you could get water, and you could live there in a really nice, like, air-conditioned tent. But it's really hard to live life well without furnishings in a house. That's why we have them. And once you get the furniture in there, well, then you can go about really living life in the house like it was designed to be lived in. You can cook food, you can have people over, you can, put up a, you, know, you can sit down, you can take a nap, you can sleep in a bed, you can put things away in a, in a cupboard. When a house is perfectly furnished, it it's really means it's ready to be lived in and used for the purpose for which it exists, right? A house has a purpose. Well, what is our purpose? To be perfectly furnished for what? For every good work. So Paul wrote another letter in, in Ephesians in chapter 2, which you're not going to study the whole thing right now, but uh, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it's, gosh, it's an incredible chapter, but he explains how we were dead in our transgressions and sins and how we were saved by grace through faith. And then in verse 9, he says, you know, that we were not saved by works so that no one can boast. And in Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's workmanship, or, or it's like this idea of, uh, of a masterpiece, like that an artist creates. It says, created... So you are, every believer is God's workmanship, created intentionally, not accidentally, in what? In Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see that? God prepared in advance these good works for us to do. It's pretty cool, right? You wonder, what am I supposed to do with my life? You know what God actually knows? He actually planned things for us to do in our life. How do we find out what those things are? You read the Bible, and you talk to God about it, and you live in a community of believers. It's, the formula is not hidden anywhere. We need to be equipped for every good work. See, this church does not exist for you to come here on Sunday and sit here for an hour or whatever and sing some songs and and feel kind of good, and they feel kind of bad, and then you uh, maybe hopefully live encouraged, and then you listen to a sermon, and then you can uh, give money to something, and you get a tax deduction, and then you go and live your life. Uh, that is not why we're here. Like, it's not Trev and my job to do the work of the ministry of this church. Do you realize that? It's your job. Our job is to equip you to do it. That's what he's writing to Timothy. He's writing to a pastor, Paul is, telling this pastor, teach your people the Bible. This is why when on the pulpit, Trev and I don't talk about other stuff. We preach from the Bible. That's why in our children's program out there, we teach them the Bible. That's why on Monday night, we have a Bible study. We read the Bible on Tuesday morning. It's a Bible study. In our life groups, we read through books of the Bible. Now, sometimes we'll do a supplementary book, like you read like Mere Christianity or whatever. Those are good. But all you do is live off supplements. You're going to die of starvation. You've got to eat the word. You have to be in the Bible. You cannot live life as a Christian on supplemental things, such as books that other people wrote about what the Bible says. Uh, Ian Thomas, who wrote many wonderful supplemental uh, readings, once said that the, the Bible sheds great light on the commentaries. And it's just this great idea that uh, you read a study Bible, right? Um, study Bibles are great. I love study Bibles. I also hate them because you read... Uh, a text and they're like oh what did the smart guy say and you you miss out on the entire process of discovering what it means for yourself so that's why we 
come into and we, why we saturate all the ministry that we do in, in, with the Bible. So how do we go about actually getting it into our lives? Well, while there are many ways, the four that have worked for me is that you read, you study, you memorize, and you listen. So read the Bible, right? Um, when I say read, I mean read it in, in large chunks. So Timothy, 2 Timothy, excuse me, is, is four chapters long. And I'm a slow reader, so maybe it takes me, I don't know, four minutes, three to four minutes to read a chapter. So you're talking literally to read 2 Timothy is 15 minutes. 15. 15 minutes, which is not a whole lot of time. What about 1 Timothy? Well, 1 Timothy appears to have six chapters. That's going to take a little longer. But that's okay. You're still on a 20-minute window. Now, if you jump into Isaiah, that's a really big book. Maybe break that one up into a, a couple different sessions. But when I say read it, I mean... Read it. Uh, if you do not know how to read, and I'm seriously not joking, if you don't know how to read, we will teach you how to read. Because there's a lot of parts in the world that have the Bible in the language that the people don't know how to read it. And so you have to teach them how to read. But if you can read, read the Bible. Uh, whatever version, uh, the, the best version of the Bible is the one that you will read. You can get it. I don't care if you want to read the King James Version or, the, or the, uh, the Amplified Bible or the Message or the NIV. Are there different Bibles that are better for studying? yes. Just pick one and read it. I don't care. You can walk into Lifeway and say, hey, I want a Bible that's very readable. And they'll gladly sell you one. They'll show you all kinds of Bibles to sell you. But read it. Think about using uh, the, the Bible app on your phone, okay? Thinking about reading in large chunks, right? Read as much of a book as you can all at one sitting. I had a professor in, in seminary that said when he'd read through Matthew for the hundredth time, he felt like he finally started to understand what he was talking about. And that came from sitting and reading. When he said that on the time, he meant sitting and starting in Matthew chapter 1 and reading it until they got to Matthew chapter 28. I mean, read the Bible. Read it. How? Well, it's gonna, you're going to have to chunk out some time for it. Can I just confess this is a huge struggle for me? I, uh, I have a hard time just sitting and dedicating 20 minutes to just reading the Bible, not preparing for something. We're not leading a Bible study. or not uh, reading the Bible with my family. I mean, like where I sit and I sit down with Jesus and I say, Lord, I'm going to read the Bible right now. <sighs> it's hard because everything else happens. Um, a kid comes in, uh, something I oversleep, I forget, my, I, my alarm goes off my phone, whatever. There's a bazillion reasons why I don't. Why is that? I, I don't know. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's just me being dumb. Whatever it is, I have no excuse not to do it right? And you don't either. We have to just carve out time to do it. Just make it. If you're a morning person, read it in the morning. If you're a night owl, read it at night. I don't, the Lord does not care what time of day you read the Bible. It, read it both. Read it in the morning and night. I don't care. I mean, you can buy a book on whatever and you can read it in the morning and read it at night. Read it on your break. Read it. Get it on your phone. Flip through it. Get a plan. It's not hard, but you've got to dedicate time to do it and then do it. It's a discipline which means it's not fun. Discipline means not fun. So that's how that gets translated in Greek. Discipline means not fun for you to do. So, but it's worth it. So read it and then study it. What do I mean by study it? I mean, when you read it, read it in large passages. When you study it, get into it and ask questions. Who, what, when, where, why? What's going on? Why is this happening? Who said that? Why do they say that? Where is this? Where's the map? How's it happening? Where are they going? Study it, right? Um, if you don't know how to study it, 
If you're like, if you're like I don't know how to do that, well then, my email is brandon at thevineokc.com. Shoot me an email that says, I don't know really how to study the Bible. Will you show me? And I will respond to you with something that you can print up and stick in your Bible. Something that I made up that's called stick me in your Bible and use me. And it's how to study the Bible. And it's just, it's not overly complicated. It's just the doing it. But study it. Get in there and ask questions. All for the purpose of application, right? What do I do with this now that I learn it? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Great. What do I do? Well, my neighbor comes over and knocks on the door and yells at me because my dog's got out again. Hmm. I should love him. How do I do that? Not by yelling at him. Uh, I can kindly accept his rebuke and say, I'm sorry, I will try to keep my kids from opening the front door again, which is what they always do. The kid's dog's almost got out to 36th Street. Anyway, happens weekly. Same neighbor. He's super grumpy. But he doesn't know the Lord. So what else is he going to do? I'm not going to win over the Lord by yelling at him. So study it for the purpose of application always, which is what should I do now with the text? And as we do that, then we start to grow. Um, the third thing is memorize. When I say memorize, what do I mean? I mean to memorize it. Like if, you, if, you have a, if you're a digital person, there are apps on the phone. I've used one called Scripture Typer, like Scripture, and then Typer, T-Y-P-E-R. This is not paid or whatever. There's like a, it's a free app, and then I think you can pay for bells and whistles, which I never pay for. But um, it's, it's a memorization app that you can put in, and then it can, you kind of, it's called Typer because you fill in the missing words, and in doing so, you, you memorize the verse. Or if you're old school, you can just get a note card. They're, they're cheap. Like if you can't afford note cards, I will buy you a bunch of note cards. Uh, it says Colossians 1, 16 through 17 on this side. On this side, it has the verse, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by, you do that about 50 or 60 or 100 times and it sticks eventually. Make a note card. Stick it in your car, stick them in your pocket, stick it, just get it in there. The purpose of doing that is not so that you have this vast library of knowledge. It's so that the Bible gets in your brain and gets in your heart and marinates all day long and you're thinking on it. And when I'm discouraged and I'm like, this world is a terrible mess. I remember all things are held together by Jesus and I'm encouraged or I can encourage a friend of mine. I don't have to have my Bible with me. Or I'm sad and the Lord reminds me who he is. Memorize it. Not so that you can walk around throwing Bible verses at people or win a debate on Facebook, please. I mean, memorize it so that you can know who the God of the universe is. And so that he, the word gets inside of you and transforms who you are, transforms how you think. This word for righteousness, when it says training in righteousness, it really means... Um, correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. Okay, so this is counter everything. Correctness, meaning a right way, in thinking, how I think, in feeling, how I feel, and in acting, how I behave. You know that there was actually a right and wrong way to think and feel and behave? Right and wrong according to the Lord. Not right and wrong according to some legalistic description somebody gives you. Right and wrong according to Jesus that there is a right way to think, to rightly think and aligned with the Bible. There is a right way to feel. Do you know that? Your feelings are not the engine on the train. If they are, it's going to run you into all kinds of trouble because, man, feelings are very real and they are wonderful and they are powerful 
and they're good and they're in their proper place, they're very destructive. If you make decisions based solely on your feelings, God be with you because it's going to be a rough ride. And there is a correct way to behave. You know that? There's actually a way that God wants me to live. He wants us to look like Jesus, which is a really high standard. In case you haven't read about Jesus very much, he's super nice to mean people and, and like mean to mean people too sometimes. And he super confuses me. But I'm supposed to be like him. He walked in absolute submission to the Father all the time. Whoa, I'm supposed to do that? Yes, how? Read your Bible. It says it in here. You walk by the Spirit. This correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. Training in righteousness. So we read the Bible, we study it, we memorize it, and you can listen to it. Listen to it by sermons. You can go online there, and there are so many good podcasts of good preachers who preach the Bible. Listen to them. Like, do it. Put it on your phone and listen to them while you're driving to work. Uh, Get the Bible app on your phone. Pull up Isaiah 66, or Isaiah, which is giant, and uh, listen to a chapter every day on the way to and from work. You'll actually get through the whole Bible pretty fast that way. For some reason, the guy reading it, who has this really good voice, the guy that reads it, um, it's faster than I can read it half the time, and and it'll just kind of go, maybe you won't catch everything, right? Well, that's okay. My cousin said that she tried to memorize scripture, and it just all goes out like a, just washes through like a sieve. She just can't hold it in there. And then someone's told her, well, at least you got a clean sieve. So just keep it in, right? Just keep this constant influx. But imagine if you're, if you're listening to it and memorizing it and studying it and reading it. What if you do that in total just 10 minutes a day? I'm talking 10 minutes, the time it takes you to take a shower. You can listen while you're in the shower. It's just, just find a way to do it. Ask the Lord this week, Lord, I want to get more of your word into my heart. Show me how. He will show you. And then when he shows you, do it. When I say study, by the way, in a community, it's really important to study the Bible not up in a little ivory tower. Get a group of people together and study the Bible together. We call them life groups. On Bible study on Monday, we have something Monday night. We have something Tuesday morning. Uh, Nothing on Wednesday right now. We have something on Thursday. Uh, nothing on Friday. Uh, you know, yeah, Friday morning, there's, well, if, you're a, if you're a mom of little kids, there's something here. If, uh, if you're not, maybe kind of awkward. But there's, I don't think anything's Saturday. And there's two things on, two life groups on Sunday. Almost, and, and if you want something on Wednesday that's not on Wednesday, start a Bible study at your house or go to a coffee shop and have a Bible study. Or come up here, we'll open the door. But find a place to sit with community, a community of believers, and study the word together. So that they can read it and say, hey, what do you think that means? And you say, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? And then you figure out what it says. And then you say, I'm going to, I need to love my neighbor better. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yes. And I can ask you next week, hey, are you loving your neighbor? No. No, I yelled at my neighbor. Would you pray for me, please? Study the Bible in community. So read it. Study it. Memorize it. Listen to it. Why? Because we need to be equipped for every good work. Because I'm not equipped for the work God wants me to do. I need this constant input of the word of God to do it. You know that you, God created each of you as an individual. There are things that God wants Tim to do that I can't do. There are things that God wants Ryan to do that I can't do. Why? Because I'm not Tim and I'm not Ryan. And Ryan's not me. And we're, we're unique individuals. God in all of his creative power has created billions of unique individuals. He literally made exactly one of you. There's no more. There will never be another you that will walk on this planet. Never. 
This moment right now in your lifetime is the only time that you will be walking on planet Earth. You exist because God created you and he created you for good work. Do you want to be equipped for that good work? Get in the word and he will equip you to do it. This is a church full of, all, imagine, just look at the people around. Actually, look around at the people. Look, turn your head. Look at people. Like wave and say hello. The person whose face you saw, God made them. They're unique. God loves them, and he has work for them to do that you can't do. But maybe you guys are supposed to do it together. And as you imagine a church full of people who are corporately surrendered and worshiping Jesus, individually spending time in the word, studying the word together, saying, what is God moving me to do in my life? What is the good work he has for me? He's equipping me in the word. What is he doing in your life? What's he doing in your life? Let's pray for each other. Can you imagine a church actually doing that? It's called the church. And that's how we're supposed to work. It's not a spectator sport. It's not, we're all supposed to be on the field with our pads on, hitting the bad guys. Or catching the ball. Depends on the sport. Anyway, bad metaphor. Get in the game. All right, that's where, that's where that goes. So, as you go to the Bible, remember it to have a posture of a learner, a posture of humility, of malleability, and a the last thing I want to end on is this idea of training as a child. One of the beautiful things about children is that they, they have a sense of wonder, right? The world hadn't beat it out of them yet. They look at, they get excited when it snows. They don't think, oh my gosh, it's going to take me longer to get to work or whatever. They, they get excited about seeing stars in the sky. They're like, oh, I can, I can see all those stars. They didn't see those before. They, they have wonder. They can walk through the woods and they have this wonder. Don't lose your sense of wonder when you go to the Bible. Don't go to it like some kind of wooden text. It is the living word of God. Be excited by it. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the wonder of the word of God, the wonder of who God proclaims himself to be, the wonder of salvation, the wonder of how awful humanity is and how good the Lord is and that he redeemed us anyway. The wonder of the gospel that a lost person can be saved and redeemed and made new. Don't lose the wonder at that. Never lose your wonder as you go through the scripture. And if you've lost it, ask the Lord to give it back. If you've never had it before, ask him to give it to you. And if you still got it, just like he said to, to Timothy, continue in what you have learned. For the believer who is maturing and walking and running with the Bible, keep going. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. For the one who's never started, get started. And somewhere in the middle, let's just meet together and see what the Lord has for us in this church, in this year, and in the years going forward. But we won't be equipped for it unless you guys get into the Word. So get to it. And let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for... Gosh, I thank you for being you. Thank you for being a God who is beyond my comprehension. A triune God that I cannot fully ever understand. You are eternal. You are sovereign. You are good. You are merciful. You are mighty. You are great. Yet you are God with us and you enter into our pain and our daily life. You call us to yourself. You equip us for the good work you have to do through us. I'm in awe at who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the Bible that we have. We do not worship the Bible, O Lord. We worship you. We thank you for the revelation of yourself you've given us through your word. Help us find time for it, Jesus, please. 
Help us find time to study it, to read it, to memorize it, meditate on it, to listen to it. Help us find time to do that in community. Lord Jesus, if we don't have time for us, help us see what we need to release and let go of so that we can make time for it. It's so vitally important, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand and, and sing this song um, together as we close.